Dilemma Ding Dong, everybody. It's me, Baron Vaughn. Welcome to Deep Shit. Happy New Year. And that's the last time I will say that to anybody for the rest of the year. <laughs> I mean, is there a rule on that? I think it's that you can say Happy New Year to someone if you haven't seen them in the new year. But um, I just um, want to punch people in the face now. If anyone says Happy New Year to me. I just want to punch them in the face. I mean, I guess technically you can say it for all of January because it's the first month, but stop. Just stop it. Just say um, just say hello. Say hello to people. I can I can take that, okay? I just did a couple shows tonight. Um, great. 51st Jokes at the Downtown Independent. If any of you uh, were there, um, thank you for being a great audience. I was very happy with my first joke. I had some moments of revelation with it right before I did it. And uh, did a joke that I really liked. And then I drove to Covina to do a show uh, by a gentleman, by a gentleman, a show produced by a gentleman named Steve Hernandez, um, who is a very funny and very nice gentleman. And it was a great show. My friend Ricky Carmona was on, the, on that show, as well as Eric Allen. Uh, man, I trip over my tongue a lot. It's ridiculous. Um, had a interesting last couple of weeks. Went to New Orleans. For Christmas because my family went on a cruise without me. They bought a ticket for a cruise when my job on my TV show was still up in the air. So I didn't want to say, yes, I'll go and then have to cancel. And they've already bought a ticket. Then also, I didn't want to go uh, be on a boat with them uh, nonstop. I love them, but I didn't want to get to the point where I was really considering jumping over the edge of a boat because that would be my only escape. I just, I didn't think I wanted to go there psychologically. So I said, no, I will not go. Instead, I went to New Orleans and spent it with some really good friends, my friend Chanel and her new husband, Chris, whom I married them to each other. Whom I married to, that's not a good sentence. I married my friend Chanel and my friend Chris together. Whom, whom that the word whom shouldn't be in there at all. I just, I'm feeling like a pretentious asshole. It's like, yes, I say whom, but I, I like to say who, but with M's on the end. <laughs> anyway, it was great. It was great uh, spending time with them and being in the city of New Orleans, which was unseasonably cold, I heard. Um, Christmas Day, I got an alarm to my phone, said tornado watch. And then I got a different one, said tornado warning. We had a discussion of what was the difference between a tornado watch and a tornado warning. Well, as far as I know is, hey, there might be a tornado. Watch out. Watch for that tornado. Or, hey, there's a tornado. You've been warned. That's the difference. But basically, all of Christmas Day in New Orleans was tornado watch, then tornado warning, then back to tornado watch, looking at the sky out of a window and seeing that half of it is sky and the other half is the darkest clouds I've ever seen. So that was fun, <laughs> but nothing happened, and that was a good time, and they gave me presents. I can't even remember the last time I got presents. They gave me two books and uh, some shirts and some, some chocolate coins, right, because we're, non, we're non-denominational uh, holiday people, so you can give me a Hanukkah present. I'm black, and you can give me a Hanukkah present for Christmas, right? High five, my psychology. What? Um, today's episode is with a gentleman named Dax Jordan. You may remember Dax from the religion episode. 
Dax is a Portland comedian that has recently relocated to Los Angeles. Well, he's been here for a year. And uh, he has some uh, problems with depression. And I also do, too. If you've been listening to my podcast, then you might know that. I didn't understand for a while that I get depressed until the last couple of years. But I'm on an upswing right now, and Dax is on an upswing, it seems. So we decided that depression was a good thing to talk about um, while we were on that upswing. Because uh, before he wanted to talk about it, and I was like, "Now nah, I'm kind of in the mire, <laughs> and we'll just spiral, and this will be a this whole podcast will be a cry for help." And I didn't want that to happen, so we talked about depression, and I think uh, some interesting things were yielded. And you can tell I'm in an upswing by how much advice I gave. There was a lot of me being like, "It's this, it's that, and it's this," because I'm now recently out of it. So those are the things I tell myself and the things that I believe and that I see are true that make me come out of the depression. But that's uh, that only lasts as long as it lasts. So I might go back into the mire of it and be like, wait. But right now I feel good. I feel happy. I feel okay. Um, and that's why I was able to tell Dax what I told him. But also, he doesn't seem that depressed. A yawn, guys. I yawn with notes. You probably yawned when I yawned. It's a psychosomatic yawn. So, anyway, guys, it's one o'clock in the morning right now while I'm recording this. It's not going to be one o'clock in the morning when you listen to this, unless you listen to it late, like you put me on before you go to bed and you listen to my voice. Then it goes into your psyche as you fall into slumber. Then uh, I'm in your dreams. And I hope in that dream that I'm in with you right now, I hope I don't murder you. There's a book I love called art objects yeah you uh mentioned that did i in our uh in our uh, drinks at the dresden yeah you mentioned i did it and i've actually was thinking about it the other day i was in a bookstore and i, I... looked for it it was a tiny bookstore they, they didn't have it i was gonna get it mm. i don't know if i have my copy or if i gave it to somebody well i'll be at portland again in a few weeks i'll get it at powell's oh powell's will have everything <laughs> yeah they'll probably have an autographed version does anyone call it wow's because wow, so that no. that's the that's the local commercial. They're, Pals, you'll say wows. It already it already has pow in the title. Oh, it's pow pow. That's true. <laughs> It'd be like pow it's wow. A step down. Pals. It, it was probably originally called wows. <laughs> and they were like, why not Powells? Why not Powells? It's like a punch to your face. How many stuff you have? How many stuff you you have? How many stuff got you? Boy, I need to st start reading myself. Um, <laughs> that's a cool bookstore. It's the coolest. I was not expecting. What is it? What do they call it? A wall to wall books. Powell's World of Books. World of Books. I think. Have you been to the Strand in New York? No. The Strand is a used bookstore that's in the, mm, it's kind of south of, I wouldn't say the East Village. It's kind of south of uh, of Union Square. Starting, It starts to become the East Village about that point. But NYU kind of owns all that shit now, so it's just mm. NYU. It's just big college area. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the Strand is a really cool. I think that's their motto: is wall to wall books. Gotcha. It's a really cool used bookstore. It goes high and it goes low, and there's just stuff everywhere. It's filled with 
hipsters and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, especially just, ones that want that genuine experience, bro. Uh-huh. I want to go to a bookshop, you know? Pseudo intellectuals. I want to touch a book that has some history, mm. not just a book about history. You can't put this in your Kindle, man. <laughs> Can you download stuff into your heart? No, bro. You ever get a used book and it smells awful? Like you like you didn't bother flipping through the pages and taking a whiff That's first? That's probably why I avoided that book. Yeah. What it smells awful like what? Like pee? Oh, uh, like like it could be like pee or like pungent cigarettes. Like as really somebody was smoking their asses off in yeah, the book. Yeah, they were reading that. I've you had can... that happen where I was really? like, "Oh, this is a great book." And then I got it home and I started flipping pages. I'm like, "I'm taking this back." Why? Because the the used bookstore smells like used bookstore. That smell permeates everything. Well, yeah, but this individual book smelled. But so I'm just bad saying you couldn't, couldn't smell it in the store. Oh, right, right. That's true. Yeah. Because you're just like, oh, it just smells like dust and <laughs> and shoes. <laughs> and then you get it home, you're like, oh, now that I have it, whoa, out of the bookstore, this is a totally different oh, scent. Oh, my home does not smell like dust and shoes. <laughs> it's not supposed to. At least snap. Well, I need to get that Glade plug-in smell. Oh, Glade plug-ins. Uh, do you know Blaine Capatch? Uh huh. Yeah. He has a joke about that. Glade plugins, like their their slogan, Glade plugins, the uh, the smell of your house burning down while you're at work. <laughs> Glade plugins. Uh, has that happened? Mm. Have they? I, I, that must be a thing. It's got to happen. Electrical wiring. We no. wouldn't hear about it. Your though. butt smells, and that's why you put a plug in in, and then nope. All right. So anyway, let's transition. Art objects. Yeah, there was something about because you said canonical. Mm-hmm. So she talked about the whole reason she wrote the book is uh, she said she wanted to know more about art, right? Paintings, visual art, sculpture, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So she went to a artist friend of hers, a painter, and said, hey, I want to know about art. What can you what can you tell me? And basically he was like, oh, look at it. All right. See you later. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and then it's her journey of teaching yourself about art because, yeah, you can study art. You can learn art history and all that stuff. But, again, that's mostly a series of dates and names and cities. That's not really having anything to do with the emotional experience of viewing art, right? Okay. So she talked about going to look at paintings and how much is revealed to you about yourself just in trying to look at a painting. And all of this stuff about um, how we live in a world that is – been turned into a bunch of slogans and phrases and it's been run by the admin and we're taught to fear anything that isn't instantly gratifying. We've uh, tamed our environment. And art often isn't. And art isn't. A lot of the times you look at art and that's all you have to do. And she talked about the, uh, the um, not that aimless wandering through a museum, but sit, look at that painting for a while and see what happens. And that she talked about the indignation that we have because we're we're a narcissistic society. Mm-hmm. So she's talking about the indignation of why. Why does that painting do something? I'm very important why, painting. Why is that twenty thousand dollars sitting? My kid could do that. This, there's an actual documentary on Netflix about a nine year old. Isn't it called My Kid Could Do That? Yeah, My Kid Could <laughs> yeah, Do That. Yeah, something like that. So, but she talks about that whole experience of uh, how we've tamed our environment and we've become used to tameness, and that everything has to be about us. All the time, mm. and she talked about the uh, the the criticism, the number one criticisms of art, which are, I don't like this, you know. She's like, and I remember something was like, uh, when you say I don't like this painting, or I don't like this song, or um, I don't like this play. It's like you haven't told me anything about art, music, or theater. All you've done is told me about yourself, 
And she said, and that's what we offer up as proof against those things is that I don't like it. And she's like, yeah, and so what? You don't like it. That should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end, not the proof, not the be-all, end-all. That's how I feel. I'm done. Right. And she said something about, like, we're Roman tyrants where we, you know, basically come in and we snap our fingers over the chorus and go, "Mm, I like that, and then leave. But no consideration of what the artist actually had to go through to create this thing, right? So, and then she talked about the canon. And that's kind of where the art history sort of thing comes in because we decide that these are the people that were important. Like Tony Clifton. Well, yeah, well, Tony Clifton. Clifton. But like Picasso or um, I can't, I'm not like Matisse, you know, Van Gogh, people like that, that like, oh, you know, I think Pete Holmes had a joke about where he calls them, ah, these are the hits. Right, these are the guys I've heard about. The these are, these yeah. are the best ofs. Yeah. So I know I should pay attention to these. But that bring you bring a lot of baggage to those names, right? So she was talking about that when you canonize somebody or canonize this art, you have killed it. That's the way that she put it. Something like that. Well, I, I, I can be- see that because, but part part sometimes just what makes things popular is that it's a, it becomes a shared experience. It's like, oh, okay, what's so great about the Mona Lisa? Mm-hmm. So many people have stared at it. That's part of what's so great about the Mona Lisa. Now? is your Yeah, now. But then— How did it originally get to be so great? And that's kind of what she means, I believe, by the canon, because she talks about we decide these are the greats, mm-hmm. but we don't consider what those people had to go through when they were making this art, that they were looked at as charlatans and frauds, because they were doing something nobody was doing, and mm-hmm. they were demonized in their time. And then later, it's like, oh, you know what? They were actually pretty damn cool. Everyone should do what they're doing. Ah. And that's what those guys had to deal with, right? When they were so, painting, suddenly yeah. everybody had to do this one thing, and they're like, no, I want to do this other thing. And then everyone's like, no, you will be rejected from the school of art. And then they became the establishment. Right. Usually after they died and someone was like, they're awesome. They got legitimized. Then everyone tries to copy them until someone does something new. They're like, no, no, no. You're supposed to copy this guy, et cetera, et cetera. Repeat, rinse and repeat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like shampoo. <laughs> Just like shampoo. Just like it, man. Why do uh, – somebody used to have that – I feel like I heard a kid's joke. Like, why don't kids like shampoo? Why? Because they know it's not real poo. <laughs> it's a sham. It's a sham. 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 Shampoo. Wish I was your not. Shampoo and oh. conditioner. Whoa! Holy crap! Where'd you get that? The Northwest. We, <laughs> Kyla, and I wrote that for a pun-based old man comic in Portland, who uh, somebody told me who was universally loved and reviled, <laughs> and somebody told me he moved down here recently. So be on the lookout for Bruce Boyman. Bruce Boyman, really? Yeah. Boy man? Yeah. Is that, Boyman. A real, is that a real last name? Yeah. Wow. And he's really uh, alpha male-y? No, he's he's an he's in his fifties, a chiropractor who decided to do stand up, and he's he's just this vaudevillian character who has no idea he is a character. Ooh. And we tried to get him to put on a like a an old suit and carry a cigar on stage and. Because he does of, these weird one-liners and then does a little dance and like mugs afterwards, uh, yeah, it's 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 a bizarre, bizarre. So thing. he's playing a character that he doesn't know he's playing. He has no idea he's playing a character. Yikes! Because it's actually him. Ooh, Boyvin. I don't <laughs> enough about. See, okay, and there's a depre- there's there's a source of depression right what, there. What's that? Uh, oh, that's the subject, by yeah, the way. The, hey, hey, everybody. The subject depression. is not 
canon or canonicals. And we're doing okay, right? You're doing okay <laughs> mentally? At the moment. Because sure. I'm, I'm coming out of something finally. Yeah. And having all these. Yeah. I, I, that's what I'm thinking. It's like some, sometimes like, I, get those, do that. I get those manic, like, I got all these ideas. And then yeah. I just crash. I'm like, maybe I should go get diagnosed or something. <laughs> or something. <laughs> is there a diagnosis? like, I've heard house. about this somewhere. This <laughs> seems familiar. This is, what, um, watch Homeland. I just watched all of it. Oh, there you go. Holy crap. Did I, I tell you that? No, no, no. I just watched all the first season oh. of Homeland. Oh, yeah, okay. I I've, I saw most of the first season, but I, I just watched most of the second season. But you don't know how the first season I, ends. Well, I've, I've been keeping up, like, on blogs and stuff. Son of a... Dax! I don't have television, uh, cable and things, uh, so I had to wait till Christmas vacation. I could be at Nana's house, and she had... The whole second season DVR'd, so I watched most of it. Oh, jeezy. Anyway, the bipolarness and the labels. Where was I getting to? Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah bipolarness, right, carries. So the thing, well, what I was getting to is this. I, I, I always have this fear that I'm being a complete idiot and just nobody's telling me. The way we never tell other complete idiots that they're being complete idiots. Right, that's the that's the uh, the rabbit hole. Right. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, Am I a fraud and no one's Am telling I, me? Does, is this joke, just... does this joke work uh, because it's funny or am I going to find out? Oh, it's, it's hacky. and I'm, It's working because it's hacky. You think you're playing a character and you don't know it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Oh, what, if, what, what if I shouldn't be even having the modicum of success I'm having, which, by the way, is nothing <laughs> so It's far. a modicum. There, there, and then you have that. That's my other source of depression, of course. And so you do you sit you sit in the, in that that depression stew. Uh, you 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 get those ideas that are, in a way, impossible to come out of because they're impossible to actually. It's impossible to actually know the answers, right? To those questions. Yeah, yeah. So then you're stuck at unsolvable riddles. Where you're like, "Am I awful?" And no one's telling me. And people will be like, "No, you're not awful." You're like, oh, "You're fooling me." I think. Is that what you're it just? Is? Are you you're just, just being my friend. You're humoring me. Know? Is that what's? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then you kind of sit in that depression stew. Yeah. And then what happens? Uh, and then, and then, you know, I've found, and this is uh, the subject I wanted to bring to this because mm-hmm. I'm I'm at an interesting point. Um, I've never been medicated for my depression. Yeah. Although, well, not never. In in college, I saw a psychiatrist. Um, a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. Well, I went therapist. to a couple of co- therapists throughout college. Okay. And then finally, um, junior year, uh, I went to it. I was like, I think I'd like to try antidepressants. And the psychologist, the therapist said, okay, well, there's a psychiatrist here. We can hook you up with that because you got to go to an actual doctor or psychiatrist. Yeah, who can... is an actual doctor to prescribe a medication. Yeah. So, so the guy talked to me for half an hour and handed me, he, he just handed me a bunch of Prozac. You know, he's like, well, here's like a month's worth of Prozac. Just Try it start out. Start popping these. <laughs> and uh, you're auditioning antidepressants. So, but yeah, at, at, I mean, this was 96. So there weren't a ton of options on the market. What was there, like so, Prozac? And um, I don't even know if there was another one at the time. I, I can't even remember. Yeah. The names of the other ones that I've heard of. Yeah. I but, mean, there's Wellbutrin and. Right, Leviathan and comes quite a lot. I don't is know. It Leviathan? Is that what it's called? <laughs> Levitra. Levitra. I was like, I don't think it's Leviathan. It, it, it rearranges Leviathan in my head. Um, uh, so I took I, I took home this pile of pills because they were 
each individual they were like trial things you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh i took one and i felt horrible about it you felt horrible about taking the pill yeah <laughs> and that was the only one i ever took uh doesn't it take a while for also that to get in your system oh yeah it, it takes a month at least so you took one pill so i took one pill and you never know what those effects and will I, be. and i was well because i i was having this philosophical problem mm-hmm. of messing with my brain chemistry what's the what's the philosophical problem don't mess with why brain should chemistry? i do that yeah like why you know i, I some degree I was, I was like well but my brain is like this for a reason right you know okay i carry rain clouds with me on the inside they were put there 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 should and i've i've had that since i was you know a young teenager that I, should... I to some degree i'm used to that and should i just learn to deal with it mhm i don't know i just felt like there had to be a different strategy there had to be something else well interesting so yeah. so and i had i had no other like self medicating things i wasn't i've always been had like a fear of addictions so i never got into smoking you or have addiction drinking in your family? coffee um, my I had I had alcoholic granddads, mm. and so both of my parents are children of alcoholics. Yeah, um, and they were both smokers. My dad quit a long time ago. My mom's still a smoker. Um, everyone in my family's a smoker. Really, it's obnoxious. It's crazy. I uh, mean, they have because of my berating them. My mother and my stepfather smoke outside of the house now instead of inside the house because I told them that my little sisters who are now uh, 18 and 17, Mm -hmm. seemed to constantly have some sort of respiratory problems and asthma and sniffles and stuff like that because you guys are always smoking inside of the house and you're not letting the house house air out. Yeah. So that's what their lungs are used to is nothing. And it's Vegas. It's it's humid and dry and dusty already. Humid Humid and dry. dry. I mean dry and (laughs) deserty and dusty. Yeah. But – yeah, that it messes with your lungs and your respiratory system a lot. So now totally. they smoke outside. Well, that's good. But I've had a similar thing because it's like you know my mother um, is a is a recovering alcoholic and uh, she's been sober for over a decade. Wow. And uh, but once so when I was presented with drugs and alcohol and stuff as a, as a child, I was always very conscious of not a child but like a teenager. You know, yeah. middle school as early as middle school, I was always conscious of. Well, my mother does this, you know, and I know it can be hereditary, mm-hmm. so I didn't want to mess with it. I didn't actually drink until I was 21. I'm almost exactly the same. I've never smoked yeah, a cigarette. I was 20. You know, and it's only in the last couple of years that I've been interested in certain drugs, mainly because I feel like I've run out of ways to get out of my own head. Yeah. That I'm like, well, we're, uh, we're definitely on the same page here. I've done, yeah. That's what. That's why you're saying that stuff, and I'm like, okay, that's yeah. how I've t- taken it. I am yeah. this way for a reason. Yeah, I got to figure out a way to ride this, yeah. to understand to get it, some perspective on to it, to get some perspective on it, yeah. and I don't want to become dependent on a substance that, um, that I'll I won't know how to deal with any of these things without that thing. Yeah, that's my big fear. Like I, I, because I've seen people come off of antidepressants. And it's, I very rarely have seen because I, I what I did eventually rationalize in my head, and it, it took me a long time to get to this point. Yep, is that okay? Our the way civilization is set up now is not at all what our brains and bodies were intended to, to deal with. Right. So 
I've kind of said to myself, <laughs> all right. Like I just said, right. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> everyone agrees with that. Everyone yes, agrees. Everyone, I think they all can. Kids at home. Um, and that it's not, I feel like it's not unethical to try to take a chemical to make an adjustment, you know, antidepressant-wise, antidepressant, to help you deal with the struggle that comes from modern existence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I feel like that's only really helpful if you're also developing new habits. Like if you're using it to put into place a structure well, that's the that point can of help like, you. therapy. You're supposed to take antidepressants yeah. and go to therapy. Yeah, exactly. So you can start establishing new habits, new patterns of living, uh, of self-discipline, of whatever, even if it's, you know, like in our case, well, getting out of bed before noon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those kind of things. Um, and and this is a struggle I've had that as literally leads up to this very minute in that it was just a couple days ago. Uh, I was in a little a bit of a funk for the whole day, and I I told my wife, told Kyla, I'm like, I, I, to make it through this year, I think I might need to get prescribed something. Mm. I think I might have to to be productive enough, you know, to to create a structure that I can start building the future on. Because when I think about the fact that I've been here a year, you know, this is my a year? This is my year, year anniversary that I've been here now. Oh, crap. Yeah. Oh, crazzle that. <laughs> That's right, because it's almost April. And it's just... It's, it's almost April. It's, it's January. blown by. I mean, when I stop and really think about it, a, a lot of interesting things have happened. But I feel like I could have personally been more productive. And as opportunities are coming up now, I could be more prepared for them. When I think about all the stuff I didn't do... Uh, th- that creek that can start to create more of a spiral. Does the didn't do it adds up to you, right? Yeah, it feels like you're. It, it's like a, a bricks. Anything that you didn't do becomes a brick that you place around yourself. You start thinking about all the things you didn't do, and you've built literally yourself into a wall, <laughs> of, or just a, yeah. a well. Yeah, you yeah. Built, there you you've go. built yourself a room that you can't get out of with all these bricks. And I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't do this. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And you're just like sitting in there and you can't get out. Yeah. Does that make any sense? That makes sense, right? I'm stuck in didn't do's. I'm stuck in didn't do's. <laughs> Hi, I'm Johnny Didn't Do. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm actually I'm in this weird place right now um, because I've realized the only time I really feel, A, productive and B, mentally able to like to, to add sunshine where there's normally clouds, I guess is you know the easiest metaphor is when I'm caffeinated, mm. and I've I've never had a cup of coffee, like a because I my fear of addictions is even what are you what are you far. drinking? I've never coffee? smoked a cigarette. Coca Cola. Never had, but caffeine wise, like my first real caffeine ever was energy drinks. When those started coming out, I was like, hey, this is a way I could find out what caffeine is like. And so, okay, oh, holy shit, oh, this is, oh, I see, this is why people like this. Okay, but I didn't want to become that guy. You want to take energy drinks. I didn't want to, or coffee or whatever, because like, okay, this could do with coffee instead, I guess. Well, I started drinking coffee a year ago, Mm -hmm. and maybe a little more than a year ago, and my whole life, no coffee, Mm -hmm. right? And then I had to get up some days at 6 a.m., Right, and it was inconsistent, so I couldn't fall into any sort of regularity with that pattern. Yeah. So those days, I just had to get up, 
And then I started being like, huh, isn't this why people drink coffee? And then I would get some coffee and be like, okay, I'm awake for a while. And then crash horribly at like one o'clock uh, in the afternoon. Then get more coffee. And be like, made it through the day. Yeah. Someone told me, this guy, coffee at least comes from the earth. Right. That's what he told me. It's like, you, he's like, it's not all this other stuff. You know, I mean, it's. It gets processed in certain ways. Sometimes some ways are better than others. But at least the coffee bean is a thing that grows naturally. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he kind of, I know. <laughs> I, well, yeah. But, you know, and then also that's why I'm interested in um, or become more interested in psychotropics and that stuff like that. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, what, what, what do those things have to offer to me that I can learn about myself that I can't do on my own anymore? Yeah, you know what I mean. And there's been many papers and lots of research been like, well, there's long term positive effects, absolutely, from certain of these. And those again, those are things that are natural in the earth. You know, ancient cultures had shaman, yeah, yeah. that well, led but, you yeah, through an mushrooms experience. Mushrooms have been used for thousands of years. So I'm that's why I'm interested in that stuff. Yeah. I'm not interested in uh, you know taking that and going on a, a roller coaster as as Bill Hicks. Was just like, oh, I took him and went on the tilt the world. I had a really bad time. He's like, Cause you're a fucking idiot. Go to nature. That's what he says. Well, I've done both. <laughs> I've been to Magic Mount on a Magic Mount on a small amount of mushrooms. Was it was it accentuating on the magic? It was fun. It was su- it was yeah. superly magic. Extra superly magic, magic mountain. Extra magic. <laughs> Magical mushroom mountain. Yeah. So that's why I become interested in those things. I haven't yet to to try them or do them. Because I haven't had those opportunities. Plus, I'm like, what do I, how do I? It's like, first of all, I don't even know where I go to get them, who I do them with. And it also involves leaving. Yeah. Like my place. Oh, yeah. well, I can barely do that for coffee. I could solve all these problems. Uh oh. <laughs> don't say it out loud. <laughs> what? We don't need the police coming on. Yeah. Hi, what I meant by problems is I can cure you of wanting to do this by giving you this police here. By giving you this pamphlet on why you should say no. I wonder if police listen to podcasts and oh. they're just kind of like, we got to find out where that's recorded. Oh, good question. He's, I mean, there's got to be some uh, Pentagon software. That downloads every podcast and scans it for keywords. Yeah, as long as we're not doing anything that's a specific threat to Homeland Security, I think we're fine. Yeah, yeah. What are we going to do? Like, uh, take mushrooms and be like, whoa, we're and then go take, and take a nap? That's, that's, that's what happens after that. Yep, that's the trick. Nobody's, nobody takes mushrooms and it's like, this government, man. And they probably talk about it, but then they, then they wake up and they're like, oh, I can't take action. Yeah, because they're not. They're all march. Um, I'll march in March. So, what the hell was I talking about? <laughs> We're talking about like antidepressants. Antidepressants. Um. So what? What I was just, just drugs for that me. we've we've gotten to a yeah. point. Both scenes were a similar place. Mm-hmm. That how maybe we've gotten to the end of of what we can do. Yeah. Ourselves. Yeah. And so, so you're experimenting with coffee. So it's been a year with coffee, and uh, would you say you've had it every day that every working day? You've you t- know what? You've used it. There's there, what 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 it's been more than the actual. I feel awakeness of coffee because I've drank Coca Cola and stuff my whole life. So I feel, it's pretty negligible the caffeine that's in a Coca Cola. I feel compared. You to feel coffee. like it? Yeah. Okay. Well, it doesn't feel. I I haven't had it where I feel jumpy or weird all day. I there are days where I don't have it, and I don't even think about it. And then I get a headache, and I'm like, why do I have a headache? Mm-hmm. And then I think, maybe it's because I didn't have coffee, yeah. and I'm a little chemically addicted now. Pretty common. There's something more about the ritual 
of making coffee or getting coffee mm. that I think is m- as important, if not more important, than the actual coffee in itself. That People I have love to... holding that paper cup in their hands. Yeah, well, it's Especially just also in just, Hollywood. It's getting up. It's getting up and going mm. somewhere. And like this is the official mascot of starting my day. Yeah, is a cup of coffee, cup of Joe. Go grab the Joe. Exactly. You know what's weird is um, like a shower is like a similar thing. And I don't want any part of that. What you don't want to part any of the ritual? I don't want to get sucked into a ritual. But I don't. What if I don't want to have to go to Starbucks. Um, you don't have to go to Starbucks. There's plenty of local places. Yeah, I mean, it, it, my thing that I've started is uh, from my long road drives because when you do comedy in the Northwest, your You're drives driving from uh, Oregon to Montana are long. Yeah, okay. yeah. So uh, I mean, it's the worst place you can live. <laughs> <laughs> And do comedy. Lots of space in between cities. Yeah, so much space. Uh, all right, doing this weekend in Boise, seven-hour drive. Ooh, okay. So at this point, any drive less than three hours to me is the same as a half-hour commute. I have a similar <laughs> thing. I have yeah. a similar thing. from It was yeah. from flying from Boston to Vegas for holidays. Oh, yeah. I'm used to six-hour flights. Yeah. And then, like, anything less than that, I'm like, cakewalk. Totally. <laughs> so what I started doing, especially as a frugal person— is I realized you could just get the caffeine pills at the Walgreens. So what I do is instead of even getting an energy drink, I just get a $6 package of 30 of those. And I bust, them, pills. I bust them into quarters because they're like 300 milligrams each. Jesus. So I just bust it in half, bust it in half. If it's, you know, if I'm really tired, I'll take in a whole half of one. So wait a minute. that And you, you're substituting that for actually having coffee? Yeah, but what's the justification of that? Why is that uh, instead why is of a four dollar coffee, I'm taking a ten cent pill. <laughs> okay, I've, I've saved thousands of dollars. <laughs> so you think in the few years I've been doing this? All so, right, okay, in the four or five years. But you're, that, but that's years. all also mostly coming out of you don't want to be a coffee person, is what you're saying? Right, well, yes, you're I don't want to be a coffee a person, but I um I do find that those long drives, um. Although I've been using it less on the long drives as podcasts have become more a part of my driving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I find if I'm engaged with uh, listening to an interesting podcast, uh, then that generally keeps me awake as well. I have had the same experience. I Long drives, which I have taken, um, I, I've learned that listening to music doesn't help Mm-mm. because music becomes background. And I've had those late drives where I'm just bl- I'm literally blasting music, and I rolling the winds down, ro- yeah, rolling yeah, the windows, windows down. down. I'm like cold and loud. This will this will work. Playing drums on the steering wheel. Not, and I also will scream out loud. <laughs> yeah. I've done that. I will scream like a a, a Will Ferrell script. I right, do one right a now. Homer a Homer Simpson. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I do that. I do that a lot. <laughs> and I and go, that go fall on opera on the car. That doesn't do anything. <laughs> I'm doing everything. I'm slapping this myself. Not doing anything. I'm punching myself in the sternum, <laughs> and it's uh, then if I pull over yeah. and, I, and all I have to do is pull over, get out of the car, run around it twice, and that wakes me up a little bit. No, yeah. or I try try to find some coffee or an energy drink. Those mm. five hour energies. You know, I find about a a half mile ghost ride, ghost ride the whip, where you. You 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 uh you put it in neut- you go real fast and put it in neutral and then get on top of your car. What 
No. <laughs> Shut the hell up. I don't actually do that. I was I've, like, what the fuck? YouTube happening? videos. It's ghost riding. Oh, no. It's when your Sounds car is awful. going without anyone Yeesh. and you're standing on top of it. Ghost riding? That's uh-huh. not a good one. It's a demon on a motorcycle. That's not a. The last time I actually, last Bridgetown, I drove from Portland to LA in a night. Wow. You did the 16 hours in one My original continuous. plan was I was going to drive to as far as San Francisco. Mm. But then once I got to, once I was near it, I'm like, what, what am I going to do? It was already late. There's nothing I'm going to do in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I was thinking about like, well, where am I going to stay? You know, because I was just going to put myself up in a hotel. And it's like, because it was too late, I figured to call a friend to be like, hey, can I crash at your place? Because it was like, it was getting late. So cause I left I left Portland much later than I expected. I left like at one, one two o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was about a 14 hour drive. From there to here, I got here about four o'clock in the morning. So, and that's with pulling over and running around the car and screaming at myself and going into like gas stations and getting energy drinks and trying yeah, to do all that stuff. All the appropriate truck stops. I was doing that stuff, and it was like that last four hours, the the one o'clock or the three hours, the one o'clock to four o'clock in the morning stretch was the hardest when the demons come out dude there yeah. was a long there was a long stretch of road that was incredibly dark it gets boring and that. straight between san francisco and la it's pretty awful and it was straight and there was a you know one of those trucks that um those semi trucks that that are uh they're uh would have cars on them yeah they're transporting cars like dealerships and, and you're like just waiting for those things to tumble off well just wait it was mm, kind god, of empty god please let it yeah (laughs) it was kind of empty and there was a point where i was hallucinating a little bit and i thought that the back of it was open like i could just drive up it and i was like i'm going to drive up into that truck and just hitch a ride and i will know where you're going have a nap (laughs) i'll have a nap while he's driving and for some reason when i snapped out of it i realized that that truck was probably three times as way as far away from me as I thought it was, and it was the reflection of his rearview lights on the pavement that I thought was the ramp of the oh, truck. Oh wow! Was it wet pavement? Even? No, it was just dark. No, it was just yeah. So it was at far enough of a distance. Well, because yeah, I mean, when you're getting that tired and hallucinating, you're basically dreaming. Yeah, I was you, dreaming. You, yeah, you basically. I was had like, that "That's dream. a ramp I can drive up." But it was also yeah. when I snapped out of it, I'm like, "No, that's rearview mirrors, yeah, rearview lights." And also, that's a good mile farther away than I thought it was. Like the way up. There. But you dreamed a different reality. I dreamed that's a dream. A, that they, when, a when you by. stay, when you stay, look down. Um, Don't get lay distracted. Let's not get. Let's not. <laughs> less miserable, as you posted. Less mis. Yeah. Um, it's four hours long. <laughs> Uh, when you, when, when you haven't slept, mm-hmm. your brain, parts of your brain shut down independently, individually to try to recreate sleep without being asleep. Hmm. So let's say you have 10 major regions, the different regions will shut down on their own to try to rest while you're awake. It's exactly like being drunk. <laughs> so it's like overtime. Yeah. Like the different regions of your brain, like, okay, we're going on overtime. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this in shifts. Yeah. Your brain is working in shifts. You guys go to sleep for a while. We'll stay up. Then you guys wake up. We'll go to sleep. You guys stay up. Then you guys wake up. And you guys, so we're just going to do this in shifts. 
It's exactly how it works. So, oh, that's interesting. So, that's so, fascinating. So you got to be careful out there. On the <laughs> no shisa. Because people are uh, people are driving like that, and it's exactly like they're drunk. And they're and they're driving they're tired. They're overworked. And usually they're, they're driving eighteen wheelers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although the the laws are getting a lot better on truckers and them keeping logs of how long they've been on the road and being forced to take breaks of certain lengths because they don't um, want to take breaks. Yeah, they don't. They just want to cost get to where money. they're going. Oh, yeah. good God. Yeah. At uh, but uh, you know, danger to the rest of them. So here's the thing. So what what do you feel? They're the Alec Baldwin podcast. Here's the thing. Oh, good God. That's the name of his podcast. I know it is. Have you listened to it? I haven't actually. It's good. I enjoy it. That's an expression my friend Mike used to say a lot in high school. Here's the thing. Ah. See, here's the thing. So I picked it up. Then there was a show in uh, New York called Here's the Thing for a while, like a stand up show. Oh, well. Sean O'Connor and a couple guys. Uh, he got it from Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michael. Oh, here, here's the yeah. thing. Um, look. Uh, here. Um, here's what I was going to ask it's what is it that you feel? What's the sensation of coming out of the funk feel like? And do you um, feel like that's happening less or more inconsistently? Coming out of the funks? Because here's the, here's what I mean, like, I'm, it's related to the idea of that, like, I, like we were saying before, it's like I, I feel like I've done as much as I can, and that now when I try to fight myself, I'm exhausted by that. Mm. So the appeal of antidepressants or psychotropics is i need an arsenal right the army I, i've i'm losing the war against my own brain <laughs> and i need different weapons mm -hmm. to figure out how to who's going to run this territory yeah so yeah it'd be nice to have some commander in there exactly so there's this part of me that's like well now because i've gotten so used to fighting this fight and used to my own tricks of coming out of that stuff that they no longer work. I'm self-conscious of my own tactics. Wow. Which is yeah. why, and I know the things that will make me feel better, and I intentionally don't do them. I intentionally avoid them. Yeah. And I substitute the knowledge of knowing that'll work for actually doing it. Mm -hmm. Be like, really? I'm going to go uh, for a swim, Baron? <laughs> yeah, that'll make me feel better, but I'm going to do that. I'm gonna, I should be able to feel better without that swim, Baron. Yeah. But then I don't. Ah, so you don't swim and then you don't feel better. I don't swim and I don't feel better. Yeah. So I give myself permission to stay in the funk by doing that, by resisting. Yeah. So that's why I'm interested in shit I can't actually resist, like certain substances or drugs and stuff like that. But that's also related to the fact that I've exhausted my resources or I feel I've exhausted my resources. So when I come out of the funk, it seems to last less time each time. The positive part or the, the funk? The positive part. Okay, yeah. Where it's like, I'm in the funk, I kind of come out of it, but then I'm back in the funk more because I've the things that used to work no longer work. Yeah. Do you feel that that's happening for um, you? I've, when I was single, that was the case. Yeah, when I, mm. was, when I was single, the, the, the funks were getting longer and the recoveries were getting shorter so so the white yeah. helps is what um, you're trying to say yeah when, when so if you, you're depressed you, get married <laughs> i wish i could say that was the case no i'm joking. what i would say if you're depressed marry my wife hey please please marry my wife please <laughs> so uh can you talk a bit about that how yeah. has she uh helped you along well i mean for one thing even outside of just being her when you're in a team 
Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it helps because I'm I'm a very I'm an only child, a very independent person. So that means you know there was also a selfishness to my constant self pity. Yes. So you kind of all right. I've I have other people here, and I have expectations, and I have to. Count, you know, people are counting on me. Yeah, people are counting on me, which uh, I always work better at getting things done in teams because when people are counting on me, I'm there and I'm energized and. I'm positive and I'm, you know, that helps me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's basically, it's the first team that helps you, you know, stay out of negativity. It's, it's, it's a good deal. Someone, I think I read somewhere and I could be m- m- misquoting so incredibly here. Close enough. Um, the irony about depressive introverts is that they would work the best in communes. Okay, I could see that. That it's like because that's that's a secret dream of mine to live on. And I live in a commune. commune. Yeah. So that <laughs> it's lit- it seems like the opposite of everything they want, which is constant interaction, no privacy. Yeah. And constantly having other people depend on you and having to deal with other people, but it's the exact thing that would get that makes the depressive introvert. Less so. Yeah, it draws them out of their... But because we don't have that, we're more prone to go into that introspective, live-in-my-head thing. Yeah. Whereas, and that's exactly what we don't want when we're in that place. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. I sit in the, as I I (laughs) said once before, I spin webs of I can't. Yeah. And then I kind of trap myself in them. Yeah, surrounded by your didn't do's. Surrounded by my didn't do's. <laughs> in a web of cants. In a web of cants. Cants and didn't do's. Some good words going on here. Yeah, we're making up some good things. Adages. Yeah, I mean, it's, and then, because we, we have that, you know, we know that's us, and then sometimes we see that in other people. Sometimes, like, I'll see you tweet and I'll go, uh, I wonder if Baron's just sitting at home tweeting. <laughs> Is he just sitting at yeah. home alone? Tweeting, and if and if I wrote to him right now and said, "Hey, let's go out and do something," would he? Would I shake him out of it, or would he? Nah, I'm busy sitting at home tweeting. I'm busy sitting at home tweeting. No, I, I got stuff to do. Yeah, and you know what? Oh, that's all. I honestly think the exact same thing a lot. I do. I'm like, I wonder who's doing something right now, or who's not doing anything that would like to do something, and then I go, ah, I shouldn't bother anyone. I don't need to bother. I can do things yeah. by myself. I'll go somewhere. Suddenly it's dark. I'm not going to go anywhere. It's God, cold. Socks. Son of the motherless. Got to have two of them, two socks. So, well, on. back to my question, though. What is? What do you feel is the sensation of, like, when do you know you're coming out of it? What starts to happen? Um, well, f- for me, uh, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing because it's like, I guess what usually what happens is a project or a thing snaps me out of it. Um, having something to focus on, be productive wise. It's like, okay, uh, maybe things build up. Cause like when I'm in a funk and I just, you know, stare at the wall for too long or, you know, I just mm-hmm. ah, screw it all. I'll watch nine episodes in a row of something. Um, and then I'll get, Oh my God, I have travel plans. I got to work on for something. I'm like, Oh, I, I should go through a, my set list and work on this or that. Or I, uh, I got, I got, you know, I got little shit to do. Weird comedy stuff that you're like is 
vaporous, a million tiny things perpetual that Perpetual busy work. Yeah, perpetual and hamster, that helps hamster you? wheel that stuff. That helps you come out of it? Once, yeah, once I start to realize how much of that is building up, mm. like there's a point at which panic sets in. Mm. A panic hel- is is what kind of helps overcome <laughs> it. Yeah. So you, Straight so up you, panic. your your depression is cured by panic. Yeah, it's cured by panic because sometimes what that does is it lets me say, okay, time to get caffeinated and get a big pile of shit done. Mm. So it's like, all right, here we go. I'm breaking a pill in half. Do you feel like you're resistant to rituals in general? Because that's mm. what I've been thinking a lot lately. Is that if there's something that ritual brings, it's there's there's a pattern, right? You know what I mean. That's why I'm like. I've been thinking that a lot. I need to. I was saying to someone, I should start following sports just so I have something to do and something to believe in because it seems to work so well for people who like sports. Huh. That's a re- yeah. It's a religion. I, okay. I, yeah. I don't see it, but. It's a structured religion. <laughs> That's what religion is. I guess so. It's a communal thing that you get to identify you know, with. I guess as a kid, I kind of felt that to some degree growing up here. Like I was a big Dodger fan. And I was like, okay, these are my Dodgers. And and then players that I loved started getting traded to other teams. And I realized, you know, three years after I started being a fan of this team, only a third of the team was still there. And I'm like, <laughs> well. This team's changed. This is this is entirely different. It's like if you like a band, you don't still like the band when all the members are different. Yeah, that's true. That does happen with sports. So. I remember I, my I grandmother. Like, oh, no loyalty. Okay. My grandmother was a big Dodgers fan as well, mm-hmm. yeah. and I remember I would pass by a room and she'd be watching a game, cheering on specific players that she always came up with nicknames for. In specific, ah. I remember Mike Piazza, yeah, who she called the Pizza Man, <laughs> and someone named Saxon, uh, Steve Sax. Steve that's a lot earlier than Mike Piazza. Steve Sax. Steve Sax. Because I remember 80s. when yeah. Steve Sax left. Yeah. So there was Steve Sachs, who she called the Saxman or the Saxon. The Saxon. All yeah. right. Anglo-Saxon. The Saxon. Come on, Saxman. Saxon. Play, play that saxy sax. And then suddenly I remember it not happening anymore. Yeah. And then it was, come on, pizza man. Yeah, yeah. And go. I remember being like, what happened to the sax? What happened? He, saxophone. He retired. The saxophone. The saxophone. The saxophone. Yeah. Um, so I remember being like, what happened to the sax? How come she still likes this team? When the saxophone's not well, how there can anymore. you enjoy it with how no can sax? You, that guy that you spend so much time cheering on is no longer there. Who do you follow, the guy or the team? Right, right. So then it was a pizza man. Then he was gone, and the pizza man Hideo, stopped delivering. Hideo Nomo, yeah, and then right? Nomo, yeah, Nomo, Nomo, um, no Nomo. I just remember specific players that she would be yeah. like, she would start cheering them. Yeah, that, and that, that was thinking, that was what I was into as a kid. I was like Eddie Murray. And I and, felt betrayed. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I wasn't watching the sh- It the- wasn't you. I was like, but those people, where are all those people? Yeah. They went to a new school like me. <laughs> They're somewhere else playing for some other team. So and you're saying so the, so the sports that's mythos when I, didn't work for you? Yeah. That, that's when I uh, decided uh, I care vaguely, but not as much as I thought it would. What do you care about? Uh, I still really like comedy. Besides comedy. Because I, I would say the same thing. Yeah. And I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. Aaron Gibson. He's mm-hmm. a very funny. Gibblertron is one. Which is a very popular, oh, Gibblertron. Yeah, okay. a pop- podcast called Throwing Shade. I ran into her at a coffee shop. And we were talking about all this kind of stuff. 
and uh, she was talking about how she wants to take a uh, cooking class. Mm. And they said, we have the fortune of having turned our hobbies into our profession. So now we need hobbies. So now we need hobbies. Yeah. Because we're constantly thinking about our profession and thinking about all the people in it and comparing ourselves Ugh. and feeling encouraged and discouraged by these very minute shifts in things. Yeah. And it's like blowing everything out of proportion. I had a couple different people express depression and concern and dismay as I did myself about not being included on certain end of the year lists. Mm -hmm. It's always the same people that are included on those lists. Right. And I, one of my quote unquote resolutions is to stop reading that shit is to basically stop looking at reading comedy blogs yeah and all those things where certain people get certain recognition and i'm like well that's it i can't because you know when i read those things right before i'm going to sleep when i'm in bed i'm like i wonder what's on split cider i wonder what's on you know all that shit laugh spin comedy bureau comics comic and i start reading oh i no one's writing about me everyone's yeah and i go to and i go to sleep with that in my brain yeah then i wake up with that in my brain no i i feel you i mean i was just that's just uh, on the comedy bureau. I'm like, okay, I've been here a year. Friends with Jake for a year. I've never been mentioned. But I've also haven't really done anything interesting. Well, whereas we you have, start, and I'm just like, if I stop reading that stuff, right? This is my idea. If I stop reading that stuff, I'll stop caring. Stop comparing myself to all the people that are there. Yeah. Then I will start caring more about the things that I am doing. Mm-hmm. If I focus more on what I'm doing as opposed to what other people are doing, I'll do more. That's the plan. All right. That's the logic. It seems logical. <laughs> it seems sound. It seems sound, but we'll see how it plays. Maybe it'll be easier. Uh, do you have a Google alert on yourself? I do. Yeah? Yeah. And just worry about that. Then Fucking you'll know when you are getting for a while. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I... Uh, that's the... I don't know if, if the Google alert thing has changed. Because, yeah, it went through periods where, like, all kinds of shit was showing up, mm-hmm. and then it stopped. And I don't know if, how much they adjusted the parameters. Yeah, so or it's like I just get talked about. If this. I get it, I'm like, oh, hey, that's something that's. And I, I'll, I usually check it. It depends because sometimes it's been not good stuff that comes up. I'm like, oh, there's my name. Why did they say that? Oh God. Uh, why did they? I become an Adam Sandler uh, <laughs> radio laugh radio you. character. No. <laughs> They're all going to lie. Oh, good God. They're all going to blog about you. Used to, used to drive around in high school listening to that, too. Oh, yeah. Um, they're all going to low. Um, I'm just trying to join this cult. There's a girl I want to meet. You remember that one? I don't remember that one. The friend trying to talk his friend into joining this cult. <laughs> and it all boils girl. down to there's a girl I want to meet. <laughs> and then there's a point where they're in the cult and everyone's doing this stuff. And, I, and the guy who was resistant in the first place is like, He's like really into the cult now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the guy who wanted to meet the girl is like, "Yeah, all right, woo." And he's not in. anyway. Um, for Actually, sounds like a good old Adam Sandler. Sandler. Um, so I totally forgot what we were talking about now. Cooking rituals, rituals, hobbies, Wahhabists. Wanting, wanting to have to find those things outside of the thing that you do to do, so you can distract yourself from it. Yeah. It's like because this is our hobby, it was our hobby, it was our interest, it was our love, and we come into it, it's all we think about. We're wrapped up about it all the time. Yeah. So, but we have to take some time and space away from it to be able to appreciate it. 
I think, and to see it for what it is. And then it becomes less of a job, becomes less work. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's when it's always the worst, when it just feels like, I got to do this. I'm, it feels like the thing that I've loved so much feels like an obligation. Yeah. As opposed to, I get to do this. It's because yeah. I don't have the, the time away from it. Yeah. I'm not making chests out of wood and sanding shit down, which is, for some reason, I'm interested in that. Oh, that would be useful, wouldn't it? Working with my hands? Come working, on. right. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I have a couple of potentially burgeoning hobbies, and, and I realized this point when I saw it happen to my dad, who was all about, when we were down here, he's a recording studio engineer, and he, and he was just all about electronics and doing his thing. It was very career-oriented, and then he really started getting into just, oh, green thumb. But he just started getting into plants, and then when we moved up to Oregon, he he started a nursery, um, a plant nursery with an ground cover, sort. and and well, he, and he figured out what his skills were, and that he was interested in the plants part of it, and certain parts of it. But he was not like a people manager, so he couldn't like build a crew hmm. and like create a profitable business and a crew and that kind of thing. There was just so many of the business parts that he had no concept of that ended up kind of bailing out on it but he uh, he he realized okay so there was the green thumb thing and he was trying out other businesses and then he kind of ended up swinging back around mm. and his main business came back to you know hooking stuff up <laughs> <laughs> hooking it up yep we talked about the show doomsday preppers before haven't we yeah i think that something that i'm interested in in that show is again there's a religious dedication to what these people believe yeah and that and over, I've rarely seen one of the doomsday preppers that's a guy by himself. It's a guy with a wife and kids who all believe what he believes. Mm. And most of the time, 80% of the time, it's a whole family. And I'm like, God damn it, at least they're together. They yeah. are together. It's, yeah, yeah, that's kind of nice. And I, I mean, obviously that. it started with... Uh, a guy and a girl who both believed the same apocalyptic thing. That's what I'm saying. Look, and then I, how I are the kids not going to go fucking it. crazy with me? Yeah. That's all I'm thinking. Why? Where's my insane partner? <laughs> Why can't we fucking believe in bullshit together? That's what you need. That's something. You need. Instead, a... I'm searching for the truth alone. Fuck you, me. You need someone to <laughs> dance this dance with you. Exactly. So. Oh, good God. Anyway. We still haven't. I still haven't let you answer the question <laughs> of how you. Oh, so panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. panic. Pan, panic that uh, helps bring me out of it. Definitely. I think I have a similar thing. It's not yeah. necessarily panic. It's it's more of a resolve. But it is things have been piling up, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, if I'm going to do something, I need to do. I need to do these things. I need to clean this. I need to yeah. email that person. Oh, go you to know that what? Place. Cleaning sometimes helps. Yeah, it's very like you get to that point. Yeah, you your shit pile just grows around you. You can right? see it here. And then and then all of a sudden you'll be like, okay, today is straightening up day. I start in the kitchen and it extends out from there, piles. And, oh, the desk is clean now. Good. Okay. Oh, I'll just vacuum. Oh, I'll just, you know. And then you kind of get into the, the cleaning spirit and then all of a sudden you have a sparkling place. And I'm like, hey, all right, I am presentable. Yeah. When I was in Canada for the first season of my show and I got really, really, really depressed, first of all, I didn't understand that's what it was. It's only in the last couple of years that I understood that I get depressed. Mm. I, I just always took these for, I don't know what I took them for. I was just kind of like, oh, I feel, because it was always this matter of fact feeling. It wasn't sadness. So I didn't know that you can be depressed but not sad. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like okay. I, because I've gotten sad, and in the sadness, depression happens, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But this was a different feeling that wasn't, I wasn't sad. I actually felt kind of happy, but there was this pit that I was sitting in, which is why I didn't understand it was depression, right? Yeah. So when I was in Canada, and it was like gorgeous, beautiful, but I was spending so much time inside alone, not eating, I had made all this these choices of I had no food in this place, right? I didn't really know anyone in the entire city mm-hmm. outside of the people I was working with on the show, but they were on set. I was alone, living in a neighborhood that was isolated. Wow. And there was a grocery store, right, that was about a f- eight-minute walk. And I convinced myself it was too far. It was too far and was not worth it. To go to, to this go grocery store. Eight minutes for sustenance. For sustenance, exactly. Survival. And I would. I lost probably 20 pounds. No. Because I remember getting weighed for something, and I weighed 165. Yeah. And then there was a point where I was back in L.A. for some reason, and I weighed myself, and I was like 140, 145. Damn, and I'm dude. Like, Wait a minute. That's over the course of a couple months. Because people started to point it out, like you look really thin in your face, and I didn't notice it because it's like a gradual. But and this was, is Vancouver, BC, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of heroin there. They were probably worried that too. <laughs> um, but it was like beautiful, sunny shit outside. I could go outside. It was the summer in Vancouver. Yeah, Pacific Northwestern summer. You know what that's like? Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. Amazing. Yeah, especially. But I. That's why I didn't go out because I'm like it's nice again. Also, I get am, it. I, am I going to go you, do nice. shit by myself? Yeah. I'm going to go to a park by myself. Could I rent a bike? Am I that guy? I'm going to rent a bike by myself and ride around like a fucking lonely asshole? <laughs> no. I'll just stay in here. <laughs> you didn't go to the comedy clubs and hang out with the stand-up scene? No. It's so vibrant there. Well, but I just oh, I, I didn't feel like anyone gave a shit. Like, I was like, everything I've done has been in the United States. Yeah. So I was like, well, no one in Canada knows me. I'm just some dude oh, trying to go to a yeah. show. Yeah, that's a tough feeling. And then, and then I'm like, what? I'm going to try to be like, no, but I've been on TV. Uh. Then I'm that guy. He's like, no, I'm important, though. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. no, guys, I'm important. I'm, I did stuff. <laughs> you should put me on. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy either. Yeah. So I sat inside for four months. Wow. Eating Cheerios. Unbelievable. How I broke out of it was having a conversation with somebody, telling them everything I was feeling. And she simply said, maybe you're just depressed. And it was like a light went off. I'm like, that's what this is. How could you have gone your whole life as a smart guy and not ever? Is it is it a black thing? I got to ask. <laughs> oh, is it my like, God. is it like when I hold I've, on? I'm still yeah. laughing. <laughs> How could you go your whole life not knowing you're <laughs> depressed? Is that a black thing? Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. It's a reasonable oh. it's it's not an unreasonable question. Jesus Christ. Do maybe uh, you know, is it is there a oh. cultural is there a black cultural thing that depression is not a recognized illness? <sighs> maybe. Man, I, you I just said. I okay, calm down. Man, <laughs> calm down unchained. <laughs> Tax unchained. I tax. The D is silent. I don't know. I can't say that that is a thing. There is. Uh, I. I honestly can't answer that question because right. I'm. I'm not exactly sure. 
there is, I did say something to somebody the other day. It's like white people have cornered the market on insecurity in a sort of a way. There mm-hmm. is a thing in the black culture that we, that we don't get depressed or we're not insecure. Neurosis. We're not supposed and... to, we're not supposed to have all that shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're just confident because you're black. Because we're confident or we're blah. But that's why it, sometimes it, it, it manifests itself in this overconfidence a lot of the time. The mm-hmm. braggadocio, mm-hmm. you know, that I've Pinocchio's never... black brother. Oh, good God. So it's braggadocio. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't my nose that when grows I when lie. I lie. Oh, good God. <laughs> we both went for the same joke, but yeah. you got there first and I'm scared. I'm yeah, scared. Yeah, but you were acting it out. You were playing a character. Calm down. You have skills. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This got so racial so quick. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe it was a thing. I didn't have anyone to talk to about this stuff. Because I grew, uh, every white person I knew knew about depression and was all down. My parents suffered from it in their own ways. I almost and... want to say that I thought it was something that was on television. And it was. Just... There's a lot of, and I remember my great grandparents because I watched so much TV as a kid and watched. I've always watched a lot of television. Yeah, and I remember overhearing a conversation of my great-grandparents and maybe it was my grandmother or my mom or somebody, I don't remember, because I was raised by my great-grandparents for a while, wow. um, that they were worried that I wasn't going to know the difference between reality and television because I watched so much TV that they thought I was going to think that's how things are. Wow. But, oh, contraire, it's always been the opposite. I've always known TV to be this thing on that screen. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I've always known it wasn't real, especially because I was watching black and white it. television and like life is in color. <laughs> wow, you had the black and white TV? I, we had a black and white TV. Yeah. yeah. And then we got a color TV. It was like, what? what? We had a color TV in the living room. And then, uh, but that was the TV that had cable on it that my, uh, my great grandparents watched. So, and I was the kid. So it was like, I, I only ever got the TV to myself Saturday morning. I woke up as early as I possibly could to watch those cartoons. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of it. That was the only time where I had the remote was in my Total hands. Total run of the thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and then I watched the television they watched, you know, which is all those classic sitcoms, Golden Girls, 227. Yeah. Amen. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Different World, Cosby Show. And what you're saying right now is part of my defense of sitcoms. What? Is that. It, they're for families. They were. They're the things that you can watch with your kids. Because when I think about, uh, okay, one day I'm going to have kids and we're going to watch TV together. And or what, are we going to watch Louie together? No. Are we going to watch Arrested Development Not until they're, you know, teenagers and, you know, can get it? Are they going to watch Monty Python? Yeah, eventually. But we're we're going to be watching sitcoms. Well, it's but- going to be small, dramatic stories that keep you interested because there's jokes. Well, but that's the thing is that there is no, that's kind of the genius behind an Arrested Development or a Modern Family or something like the new normal, right? Mm -hmm. In that families do not look the same anymore. No. And there's the majority of television is trying to make television that appeals to the most amount of people possible, right? That just makes it broad. That's why it's called a broad comedy. Right. It's something that, quote-unquote, everyone can get. But everyone doesn't get the same shit anymore. Especially yeah. there's that big discrepancy between parents and their kids because we're the internet age. Yeah. And so much is happening so fast. There's an exponential amount of information every single year. So it's like – that's why it's like 
a 22-year-old and a 25-year-old don't have the same references. That's three years, you know? Yeah. And I remember saying that to somebody about like, oh, I grew up on a different all that than you did. <laughs> My all that had Keenan and Kel. Your all that had Amanda Bynes. Very different. Man. It's like only like four, four or five years of difference. But that is big in a yeah. sort of a way. Yeah. So point being that there is no thing that everyone can relate to anymore, which is why a show like, again, like Arrested Development or Modern Family, or, or those are brilliant because they're redefining what the family looks like. Mm. But again, you're talking about, and you're right, and that is something I've never really thought about, that like these are family shows. Yeah. Family Matters. All that TGIF programming. Things you watch with your own family. Things that you that, watch with your family. All right, a six-year-old comes in the room. They can watch this Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episode, and your dad can watch it and still get a hoot from it. Exactly. Because I'm going to be forced to watch things with my children. But how many families are watching things together anymore? Right? When we were kids, that was the case. Yeah. There's our television. Now yeah. there's a computer in every room. Yeah. Now the kids are the watching stuff on the internet while you're in the living room watching TV. Or they just TV. have their own big screen in their own Or they room. have their own screen, but while they're watching box. it, they're texting at the exact same time, instant messaging, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at the same time. Yeah. While they're watching a show, kind of. Music's probably playing. <laughs> and they probably have a, have a headphone, one ear with an earbud. Bluetoothy. All, all things at the same time. Ouch. Right? So, point being that the broad comedy is a very hard thing to pull off because there is no one thing that everyone relates to anymore. And I think that everyone's attentions have been divided in so many places. And I think that for something to be art, for something to be interesting, it has to be specific. Yeah. And the more specific it is, the more specific the audience that comes to it will be, which is the opposite of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's, yeah, I mean, that's what's bugging the studios is how, how do we market all these specific things? Well, they have to be cheap to make, and people just have to go on the internet and get it. It's and hopefully a, it'll sit through the 30-second commercial. It's a model that is rapidly changing that they are fighting tooth and nail against. Yeah. Because it's like, no, this model has worked for 40 years, and we're going to, by hook or by crook, those things are the things. Yeah, it, it fascinates me to watch it, yeah, to watch it change. To watch it evolve. Yeah. And I, was, I had a long talk with Dave Ross about, I think that comedy more than drama. And we were talking about this before. I think comedy is kind of stuck in a very limited, narrow place. There's a narrow range where comedy can exist on television, and people will call it a comedy. Mm -hmm. And then drama can go in all these different places, yeah. right? And it has more of a range. People are more accepting. It's like, oh, there's the doctor drama, the hospital drama. This one's kind of supernatural. That one's about drug dealers. This one is about gangsters in the 20s. Can we set a comedy in the 20s? If you set a comedy in the time period where Boardwalk Empire takes place, the 30s, I mean to say, yeah. um, people would be like, oh, it's too high concept. Right? Yeah, probably. All comedy has to take place in right now. Basically. If you look mm. at all the sitcoms, yeah. they're all things that are taking place tomorrow or today. Yeah. Right? Dramas are in far off places. Game of Thrones, you can't have a comedy in where yeah. Game of Thrones happens. You they your highness was trying to do something like that and everyone's right. like, Oh, that's bullshit. But there was a show on Comedy Central that was some Barbarian sword yeah, thing. Yeah, tried you're and, right. And it was yeah. British. It was a Brit it was a British yeah. show. Yeah. Um, I forget what it was called, but you're right. Yeah. And that's harder to do. So 
but in very the hard to do. exact yeah. same sta- exact same place uh comedies constantly reflect the priorities of the country at that time that's what i've always seen it's just kind of like people will say what they really feel and what they really think when they're not thinking about saying what they really feel and what they really think right i've seen that like when you a relationship couple therapy you get them to talk about something other than their relationship and that's when you can really see how they really relate to each other so comedy is america talking about america when it's technically trying not to talk about america yeah i mean the the point of satire but there are certain things that keep certain themes that keep and it kind of that uh, that keep surfacing and what i'm seeing right now what like i was talking to dave ross about this it's like in every comedy everyone's boss hates them their jobs suck they're paranoid about losing their jobs their families don't understand them mm-hmm. they don't understand the paranoia of losing the job it's like they're being pulled in all these different directions customer service in any place n- everyone sucks we're constantly af- afraid of being misinterpreted or misunderstood when it's a stranger that we have to get something from mm-hmm. whether it's the DMV or a line at the airport always the conflict right yeah. but that's what people are constantly thinking about it's like oh everyone's afraid about being labeled a uh, a loser a failure and not being able to provide for these other people who don't get you really those are certain themes i'm seeing right now in all these different comedies mm-hmm. it's like and that's that post recession kind of thing of like everyone's afraid for their employment and is walking on eggshells because oh and that's the other thing uh, your boss will fire you for petty, selfish reasons. Interesting. You have to keep, you all constantly have to play the yes man to this boss, regardless of, and everyone's bosses are also assholes that are unqualified. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's always. To be there. It's someone's mm-hmm. son or some ass kisser with a certain degree, whereas I actually have the skill and they got the job and now this person who's younger than me is my boss. Right. And they're an ass kissing asshole. And I have to be like, hey, how you doing? Because <laughs> if I cross them, they'll fire. They'll find a reason to fire me. So you're you're finding this across comedy right now. Yeah, that's that's like, the, that's the theme I'm wise. seeing. Yeah, when, especially with customer service. Yeah, they never understand. They always have attitudes. They're always in a bad mood, and they do not have patience for you. Their job is to talk to you, but they do not do not want to talk to you. They're mad that this is where they are. <laughs> that's what I'm seeing. Everyone is pissed off that they are where they are. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, and uh, then but whereas in drama, is there is there a theme that you're finding in drama? Otherwise, no, because in drama it's always just every character is pushing their agenda. Yes, and this is what happens when we put them all in a room. Drama, yes, everybody is out for themselves, mm. so there's a narcissism there. Everyone's trying to do the thing that they think will make them something else, right? Drama is proactive. And I think comedy is more reactive. Drama's like, I'm going to make. Right. I'm getting. Whereas comedy I'm, is kind of yeah. like, things are happening to me. Right. This, but, but, and I've gotten this note on the thing I was trying to, trying to work on where it's like, well, the character's too passive. I'm like, but that's a sitcom. It's a person who's existing and shit happens to them and then they have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless they're a proactive character and then they're a buffoon. You know what I mean? Then they're the clown. They're a person that keeps trying to do things, but they keep doing them wrong. Oh, right. Because if they did them right, where would the funny be? Where would they be? Yeah. Then they're king of queens, you know? Everybody loves Raymond. 
it's it's I, I was talking to a friend who was taking it back to old Italian improv theater. Commedia dell'arte. Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, we'll get too nerdy if I start talking about all this yeah. bullshit. <laughs> I've always wanted to learn about that, though. Commedia dell'arte? Yeah. It's just about, it's archetypes. Mm. All these different characters with their own agendas that um, have certain qualities that they always kind of default to. Mm. So you have someone like the, the Harlequin, the Arlecchino. This is the, the slapstick was literally a thing that the Arlecchino was a servant that had a master who had a slapstick. So the art and they would hit them, actual thing. hit them with the slapstick and would make a slap sound. And they would, they would, uh, and they were always tumblers. So they would be, could do op- uh, acrobats, flips and rolls and tumbles and stuff like that. So they were always trying to court the love of someone that they shouldn't be courting the love of. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that they were afraid of was their master's wrath. And the only thing that they were more concerned of, concerned about than love was food. So it was like they want to get drunk and they want to gorge themselves. But I also like this woman. Oh, my master's coming. That, those wow. are like the three sort of things. And when he comes, he hits you with a slapstick. You're being an idiot. And he slaps you and you do a couple flips. Land in a split. Sorry. <laughs> right? All while wearing a mask. Then there's things like Capitano. Who Capitano is the captain who's, who's basically like a, uh, a braggart who says all these things and he can do all these things mm. but he can't mm-hmm. it's don quixote ah. in a sense except young <laughs> it's like i've done this and i've done that and i will do this i'm so good at these things but i'm not really yeah. right so that's where i see i see that character braggadocio in in yeah i see that character in a lot of modern sitcoms where it's just kind of like the man who's supposed to be the patriarch of the family that supposedly knows everything but is really kind of an idiot Mm-hmm. And by every episode learns how much of an idiot he is and promises not to be an idiot next time. But, of course, Next he week, is, oh, uh, he's idiot. back to being you an idiot. You can't really learn a lesson. You can't. That's the crazy thing about when, when I took a sitcom writing class. Yeah. And I realized that he, he made the point of like, yeah, so at the end of the episode, you they learn, learn a lesson, but they don't really, really learn, learn it. it. Or else how would you have another episode next week? And you and people are tuning in to see. That's why it's like uh, television is like, more like uh, real life. And comedy in specific is more like that. Dramas can be about all these different people's different worlds, and we'll find reasons to relate to, to them. But a comedy, people be like, I don't get that. By the way, they write it off as quickly as they possibly can. Yeah. So it's like with a comedy, we are tuning in to see those characters be the people they are all the time. Like the people at work, they don't change. Right. I know that Jeff is going to do that thing all the time. That's the annoying the, people are the annoying people, and they're always going to be the annoying people. They're always going to be, they want to see what the hell Rachel and Ross are up to this week, being all Rachel and Rossi. Yeah. Whereas Walter White is going to be a very different person at the end of the show than he was at the beginning of the show. Right? Yeah. Oh. What an arc. Now I'm upset with myself. <laughs> I'm upset with myself about talking all this bullshit. Yeah. No, but, but I, I see. So you're making the journey of deciding drama is more interesting to you when i Uh, all the ideas my constant note when i come up with my comedy ideas i'm constantly being told it's too high concept Mm -hmm. it's too high concept it's too high concept yeah so if it was a drama people would be okay with the high concept yeah people be like oh this takes place on a space station awesome why not have something be a drama and that also has has comedy yeah because honestly that to me that's the best drama 
That's why I part of why I don't watch police procedurals is they're not funny enough. <laughs> CSIs and all those. But that's mellow. That's drama. Mel- uh, melodrama. Yeah, that's so. that's old school. Like watch this mystery be solved. That's yeah. what, and that's just you get to be a, a crime solver when you watch that. You're putting the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, and the whole point is seeing how they'll surprise you. It's like, oh, I think it's that guy. Yeah, my mom loves that shit, and that's what she does outside. Ooh, he did it. it yeah. Oh, and then later it's like, no, I guess it wasn't him. Exactly. I mean, the one I watch is Castle because mm-hmm. it's pretty funny because Nathan Fillion's a ham. <laughs> right. It's basically uh, the it's Emily a Deschanel reboot too, right? No, oh, no, I think that's Bones. Right, yeah, exactly. That's Borean's and, and Emily Deschanel. Right, right. right. The um, castle is castle, Nathan, Nathan Fillion, Fillion and, and some chick whose name I can't pronounce. Oh, come on. Some chick. Dax, have some, some sensitivity. <laughs> no, that's how you pronounce her name. Some chick. She's Hi. Czechoslovakian. I think it's Some H. <laughs> uh, but it's funny. He's a, he's a hammy guy, and, mm-hmm. and they play up the humor of the show. It's basically Moonlighting reboot oh, in its own way. Except he's, a, he's an author. Ooh. So it's a little murder she wrote. Ooh. A little moonlighting. <laughs> look how look how interested I got right there. Ooh, I've never watched it. It's good. I like it, uh, especially if, if you know if you're a Nathan Fillion guy. If you like Firefly or uh, if you're um, a filiac, <laughs> if you're a Nathan filiac, <laughs> black people often are. Oh, good God! Right? Um, oh no! Doctor Horrible sing along blog. Son of a Dax. If you like Nathan Fillion, so when, I like I do. Back to depression. <laughs> Bad. So I help me solve my problem. Here's what here's what I need to do. I need Uh-oh. to figure it out. Callers, call in if you have an idea. Um, do we have a phone? Because I was actually just about to say to you, what is it <laughs> that you? What are the steps you're taking to kind of stave well, that kind of stuff off? What I need to figure out for this year is: Do I get medicated, or do I commit myself to being caffeinated? Uh, I bought. Yerba mate yesterday, because everyone's been all about yerba mate and its energizing properties. And I had a good big cup of it today, and it didn't do much, so I put a second bag in, and I drink a two bagger of yerba mate. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't really feel caffeinated. I huh? I don't feel energized the way I was hoping. So you know, it, it tastes it tastes good. It's all about espresso. I, you know, I'm I don't know if I'm going to do coffee itself. Because I've built up mentally this anti-coffee thing in my brain. Mm-hmm. Part of it was from growing up, and my mom was always the cigarettes and coffee at the same time. Mm. So the two smells are intertwined. And I don't want to stain my teeth. And anyway, It's got to brush them. <laughs> That's why I drink iced coffee with a straw. I don't want to get addicted to brushing my teeth. Oh, okay. Um, so, I mean, I can still do caffeine via my, you know, just breaking Break a pill in a quarter. I think I think suck that it's, down. I, it's trial and error, Dax. I don't know because it's like you have to kind of just see which one works for you. Like I don't think any one's just not going to automatically work, right? And then the other one, so you get like, oh, that didn't work. Now I got to try the other one. It's trial and error. I think, I think maybe ritual might some rituals might help you. Forcing yourself, forcing yourself to do certain things. Yeah, I'm forcing myself. To read less industry biz news and all that stuff, especially comedy related. Yeah, and I'm forcing myself to go out every Friday night for at least four hours. Yeah, eight to midnight. I have to be out of here by eight, out of and the I house. can't come back until after midnight. Yeah, that's my challenge to myself. That does make me feel good, getting out of the house. And I do, I do a lot of that, especially when Kyla's out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, 
then I'm home alone, and I don't really have trouble getting out at night hmm. in those situations. Um, but then sometimes I get back and, oh, okay, so I, I spent the day putzing around instead of writing or doing, you know, productive comedy things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, I guess I, if I was home, I would have been writing. Hmm. And now it's too late. If I start writing, I'll be up till 3 a.m. I do, this, I do the exact same and thing. Then, and then I was like, I'll write tomorrow. Yep, yep, yeah. It's always tomorrow. <laughs> I will write tomorrow. I think it's funny that I'm I'm basically playing the role of Ryan Singer to your Baron Vaughn right now. <laughs> well, thank you. So you're me and I'm Ryan Singer yeah. being like, oh, you got to do this and do that. Yeah. That's a bad impersonation to him. Not necessarily. <laughs> it was more more Robin Williams. <laughs> you got to do this and do that. Sometimes, I feel like sometimes he sounds like a young Robin Williams. Brian Singer. He I can look, see that. He looks like him a little bit too. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I like that guy a lot. So I we just have to we have to force yourself to do shit until it feels second nature. It's all about choices. Yeah. And decisions. But there's gotta be there has to be some energizing thing for me to take these steps. Well, you gotta you gotta uh, do you it. Know? But you have to you have to get out of it. See, that was how I solved my depression in Canada. What I would do when I had a day off is because the internet signal of the place I was staying only worked in my bedroom. So I'd be asleep. I'd wake up. My computer is here to the side of my bed. I'd pick it up and get on the internet. And I'd IM and, and surf the web for hours. Right. Having not gotten out of bed until oh, noon or one. Jeez. And not eating. And see, then your blood sugar never not gets eating. up. My blood sugar never gets up. I have low energy. Yeah. Then when I get up to take a shower, I'm like, it's already three. Yeah. Right? This is what I did. Yeah. I left my computer in the living room. Right. Suddenly, there was an internet signal in the living room. I don't know where it came from. It was an open signal that was really strong, better than the one in my bedroom. Oh. So I left the computer in the living room. Mm-hmm. Right? Then when I wanted to check my email, I had to get up out of bed and go into the living room to do that. And just that simple act Made a big difference. Made a huge. I would get up. And I'm like, well, I'm up. Might as well take a shower. And I took a shower and I'm out of the door before 10 a.m. Yeah. And that just it totally cured me. Damn. Because I would wake up with enough day that I felt there was enough day to do stuff. Yeah. Then I'd get out and go do stuff. So have you been able to transfer this wisdom to here in your current home? A little bit. Yeah. I am getting up. I, uh, you know, that's when I, when I start getting up and forcing myself to get up, especially if I have something to do during the day. I get up and then I'm like, okay, got to get. To get the day started, I started setting my alarm to just nine. Wow! And, and just letting it happen. Yeah. And because I'll go to bed at three something, blah blah blah. But that's it. Getting up at nine. So if I want more sleep, I better go to bed earlier. Wow. So it's been, you've been getting up at nine. I've been trying to nine yeah. ten. Didn't do it today. <laughs> but I have like a everyday alarm nine o'clock, and that's the thing. They all feel these decisions feel foreign. Right. They feel foreign because they it's feel not forced. They feel forced, but then there's a point where that's just what you're doing. Everything right now at some point felt forced. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We've yeah. basically decided to do nothing. You know what I mean? And the nothingness has eaten us alive like never ending story. Yeah. <laughs> we have the nothing. We have to bastion our own brains <laughs> and shout <laughs> Moonchild into the, the I've dark bastioned night. my brains in. <laughs> So, and I said this to somebody the other day because she was talking about being an inside person because she was talking about how if she's not, because she's in a relationship and she was talking about if she's not, she just disappears 
and no one sees her unless she has a really close friend or a boyfriend that makes her go and do shit. Ah, I'm yeah, because like, a lot of people get relationships and then it keeps them inside and right. they never get seen again. And, never, and But she stays in, she was talking about that discrepancy that she has. And I said something to her um, that I was like, wow, that's pretty good. I need to fucking, <laughs> I need to fucking do that. It's like, at first you have the problem, right? Where you feel something. Mm. And then I said, at first you have a problem. At first it's a problem. Then it's a decision. Then it's an identity. Right? Because she's talking about, I'm a, such a sad person. Mm. You have the problem of being sad. Then you've made the decision that I'm sad. So you decide to be sad. And then you just say, I'm a sad person. That is now your identity. So you wake up being like, that's who I am. I'm sad. So you've decided it. Right? Yeah. That's what I said to her. And it's like, just FYI, I'm also saying this to myself. Because it is. I do that thing where I'm just like, oh, I feel kind of down. And then I decide to feel down. And then I go, well, I'm a down person. I'm a bummer of a person. <laughs> I'm a bummer. I'm a bummer. I'm yeah. a bummer to be around. Yeah. And then I, that becomes my identity. And I sit with that on my fucking head. Yeah. Until yeah. I break out of it. Yeah. You know, you got to Superman these hoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's on your head. You got to break through it like Superman. You got Superman these hoes. Us being the hoe, we have Us, to Superman. I got to Superman yourself. Supermaning my own hoe. You got Superman. I don't mean it in the dirty way that they mean it in the song. Yeah. I mean it in the busting forward out of, a, out of your own fortress of song. <laughs> you know what their next hit after the Superman at hoe was? I'm scared. What, what is it? Where uh, when people are saying stuff you don't want to hear and you just go, Brah! <laughs> they have a whole song about that. Oh, trick. Oh, oh. Wait a minute. That's real? Yeah. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. That's frightening. Because then that song, and my, my brother just showed it to me, even though it's a year or two old now, that song. And then at the end of it, it changes into another song about the kid getting a bunch of Fs. So he sings this song. Put some Ds on it. Put some Ds on it. Wait a minute. <laughs> His report card. It just morphs into this whole You're different not, song. You know what I mean? Throw some Ds on that bitch? That's yeah. It's a different song. No, no, no. It's the same song. Throw some D's it's, on that bitch. Yeah, no, that's about that's a wholly different thing. We might we're talking about different stuff. Okay, well, these now guys I gotta, also have a song <laughs> where they throw some D's on it about their report card. But it, I don't think that's about a report card. This this one is because it morphs into that at the end of the video. Now, now I'm throwing, now I'm showing my hip hop ignorance. Yeah, in this in this section. But um, so are you. So, yes, I guess so obviously so am I. All right. Obviously. But the point is rituals. Rituals. All right. All right. Rituals. Do, do that stuff. I'll go for rituals first before I go for medication. <laughs> All right. Do At least I can give you that. Dr. Barron. Uh-huh. Seacrest out. So I had to look that up because I'm a thorough researcher, obviously, as you can tell by how much I ramble in these intros and outros, that I really know where I stand and where things belong in my brain and on papers that I read to put them into my brain. That's research. Um, yeah, so Superman, Superman These Hoes, or Superman Crank That by Soldier Boy is a different song than Throw Some D's, which is by Rich Boy. So I can understand because they're both boys, Soldier Boy and Rich Boy. Now, Soldier Boy, obviously, he served some uh, some military experience. And Rich Boy didn't have to join the military because he's rich. His daddy got him around all that bureaucratic BS. And uh, now he's just throwing some D's on that while, while Soldier Boy is uh, 
supermaning hoes left and right. Yes, so as far as I know, those songs are not related and they're very different. Superman these hoes is about, um, I believe, coming on a girl's back and then flipping her over so the sheets stick to her back. Hence, it looks like she has a cape and you have Superman her. This is how I have been explained it. I've had how that's been explained to me. That's how that's happened. And then throw some D's is about cars. That's about he's he, rich boy just got a new Cadillac and they say throw some D's on that. I forget what D's are. Anyway, that's beside the point. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hey, all things comedy network, blah blah blah. Oh, I'm gonna be on Conan on January fifteenth. It's a Tuesday. So watch it. I promise to be funny. And if not, it's going to be a glorious failure that's televised forever. Yeah. Good night. Good night.